Hello, everybody. Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. My name is Miguel, and I am joined here by Charlie once more. She's back. Woo! I'm back. You can't get rid of me forever. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we thought we did, but we didn't. (laughs) And we also have a very special guest today here, Colin Tate, fellow convert kidder, as it were. Everyone. What's up, Colin? I wanted to have Colin on today to talk a little bit about SEO and what that means for the uninitiated. That's his search engine optimization. Did I get that right, Colin? You did? Nailed it. Nailed it. Which um, when I say things like SEO optimization, it's kind of like saying ATM machine then, isn't it? <laughs> oh. A little redundant, but that's okay. Yeah. I still know what you mean. You're right. I never <laughs> thought about that. Dang it. Now, I feel, now I'm just going to like be self-conscious every time I say it. <laughs> so before we get into SEO and all that stuff and why we should care about it, I just wanted to first start off with, have you heard like we always do? I think... I will go first. Nominate yourself. Go for it. I nominate Miguel. <laughs> All right. So today, we uh, I wanted to talk about Squarespace. And uh, I don't know if you guys had heard about this, but uh, Squarespace, I guess, launched a new drag and drop website editor, which is arguably probably one of the easiest ways to build anything. Like there's no coding necessary. There's, uh, you know, no... no custom CSS or anything like that. You just drag and drop the ways that you want the page to look and that's how it looks. And they're not the first ones to do this, but I think they're trying to take the crack at it and they are a big player in the space. So I'm interested to see. I haven't played around with it yet. Have you guys? No. No, but I am I used Squarespace many years ago before I became Webflow's number one fan and advocate. And I thought I remembered it being drag and drop to a degree. So maybe they've just gone even further with it. Or maybe I'm remembering wrong also, but that's exciting to see they're still working on updates. Yeah, They're billing it as their newest Uh drag and drop website editor, but it looks like they're taking a new crack at it. Nice. Something they call Fluid Engine. So Mm. Sounds fancy. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds very fancy. Sounds like it might offer a little bit more customization because Webflow is starting to eat the web, which is cool. Yes. Their design tools are just bar none. So... I used Squarespace in the past and they was they were actually a competitor to a company that I used to work for that also had a do-it-yourself website builder. So it's nice that there's more options for people to be able to create online content. So that's cool. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I did some web development back in the day and uh, building a website from scratch is not a good time. No. <laughs> <laughs> not even for the people who know how to do it. I would literally never do it again. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, you change one thing and then the whole dominoes fall and everything looks janky or everything looks great. <laughs> and then you put it on a mobile phone and it looks absolutely atrocious. But Or you miss the closing bracket and it just doesn't work. Bricks your whole <laughs> and then it's like, wait, what did I do? <laughs> oh, yeah. All right. I'm going to pass it over now to Charlie. Charlie, what do you got for us? Okay. So I've been off for a few weeks and I don't know if you've talked about it yet, but Instagram just keeps coming at us with these changes, right? Like every week there's something new. We're hearing updates from their CEO. They've said explicitly now, look, we are prioritizing video. They got a lot of backlash from that. And um, the CEO made a video that was saying, look, even when we don't change the product and even when it's not down to us in our algorithm prioritizing video, 
people engage with video more on Instagram. So I think it's him kind of saying like, look, it's not my fault. (laughs) This is what the people are showing us that they want because there is a lot of backlash. Most recently, the Kardashians are getting involved in like a campaign to make Instagram Instagram again, which is quite amusing. And yeah, I'm interested to see how Instagram reacts to like some of their largest users, right, are celebrities like the Kardashians. So to see how they respond to that and what, if anything, changes. And I would expect, honestly, nothing. Because like they said, the data is showing them that people like video. And so that's what they're going to keep prioritizing. So I have some anecdotal evidence, but it's anecdotal evidence of one, if that's even like a thing. Anecdata. Right, exactly. <laughs> Anecdata. I never engage with videos real stories, any of that stuff. I'm just like flipping through and I just, I don't engage. Like maybe I'll, I'll like something every now and again, but it's usually the written posts Mm. that I actually engage with. So I don't know how true that is. I don't know what data that they're seeing, but other people I know just kind of flip through too. So I don't know. I love that there's controversy though. I feel like there's controversy around everything, Yep. especially with Facebook, Meta, Instagram, or whatever they're calling themselves these days. It kills me. Like, I have so many questions about that. Like, all right, so more people engage with that. Like, what? It, so first of all, how do you define engagement, right? So this, mm. this, how do you not engage with a picture over a video? I mean, so the video auto plays, but like if it's default set to mute, for example, am I engaging with a muted video? I mean, sometimes they have captions, right? But But still, like, I don't understand how they're exactly tracking that. It's not like I can decide to omit the still images and only go with videos. Is it like people are spending more time looking at reels than they are scrolling through their feeds? Or I don't know. I have have so many questions about that. And what will happen? Do they just keep going towards, like, becoming more like TikTok and being that kind of... Oh, yeah video thing and then are they creating a vacuum does an instagram clone like a you know like photo sharing app they saying make instagram (laughs) instagram yeah somebody comes out with like an instagram app that is like what instagram used to be and then that becomes popular and everything swings that way and who knows that's what people are calling for so i think there is a gap for that but instagram are also testing a full screen feed where it basically looks like tiktok where the image or the reel is like full and the caption is sort of like overlaid on top of it. And it was quite funny in this video update that the CEO did. He was like, look, I know it looks bad right now. We're going to fix it. (laughs) He actually said that. And I was like, oof, to be that product team and to have the CEO saying that publicly to millions of people, that's got to hurt. Yeah. It also makes me think like, is this a case of because they started showing more video, people started interacting with it more? Exactly. What if they never showed reels or or stories or anything like that? Mm -hmm. Would that still hold true for them? I feel like they were trying to keep up with video platforms, whether it be YouTube or TikTok, and they integrate a video. And of course, people are yep. going to engage with it if you give them the option to. But if you didn't give them the option, would the data, the anecdata remain the same, right? So exactly. I don't know. Agreed, Colin. But uh, we can make this whole episode about Instagram because I have a lot of feels on it. But how about we <laughs> go over to Colin and uh, what have you got for us? For have you heard? Well, I'm going to a social platform anyway with my have you heard. It's TikTok. And so um, a couple of weeks ago, and it's still kind of making the rounds. Apparently, TikTok search is rivaling Google search. What? And everybody's kind of all in their feelings about it. So I guess there was one of the Google execs suggested that Instagram and TikTok are eating into Google's core products, search and maps. Wow. And I'm like, hmm, interesting. And 
I don't know how I feel about that statement because YouTube is Google. And when you look at the data from YouTube, they have higher engagement on YouTube than any of those other platforms or any of those core products. So, I mean, yeah, you can say that they're eating into search or they're eating into maps, but YouTube is still like king when it comes to to video. So there's just been all this talk about how Gen Z and younger generations don't use Google in order to search for things. Mm. But I think that that's also kind of indicative of what people use those platforms for. I don't think that anybody's doing any searches for best restaurants in LA or best places to have fun in New York City through TikTok. Maybe they're looking for instructional stuff like how to build a chair. I don't know what people search for on TikTok, but <laughs> let's say they're looking for how to build a chair, right? Maybe there's a quick TikTok that shows them how to do that, but still, it's not really long form content. So I think maybe they're probably seeing dips in one area, but maybe gains in another area, Google is. Mm. But I thought it was interesting, nevertheless, that there's just been so much controversy around this topic. <laughs> well, TikTok did bump it up to like 10 minutes now, right? You can do long form, longer form. That's right. Like medium form, I guess is what 10 minutes is, but. Yeah. But can you really teach somebody how to do something in depth in 10 minutes? Like if it's complex or involved? Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know. I've never tried to build a chair in 10 minutes. So <laughs> Miguel, you let me know. You're you're the hands-on guy here. So you let me know. Yeah, I mean, unless you buy it from Ikea, but then that'll still take like an hour. So Yeah, that does not take 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> they tell you not to use power tools on Ikea stuff. And I'm like, yeah, F you. I'm not going to crank this little wrench for three hours. I'm going to power through this thing, even if it breaks the damn chair. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. <laughs> so like we've been alluding to, we're uh, here to talk about SEO. Woo. Let's just get right into it. So before we talk about what we're talking about here, which is things that people should do about SEO. Can you give us like a real high level, just like what is search engine optimization? And more importantly, why should creators care about it? Yeah. So it can often be like this really convoluted, opaque topic that seems overly technical and impossible to understand because there's a lot of moving parts to it. But simply, it just breaks down to making sure that the content that you create and put online gets found Mm. and other people can find your content. And there's a lot of ways that you can do that, but it's just making sure that you're doing some of the on-page or basic things right. And by on-page, I mean, when somebody clicks on an article or a video or a podcast or audio clip, you're doing things that help make that content more discoverable. And... I always liken it to like a storefront. And I know that's kind of an outdated concept, but people still go to stores, right? Not everybody shops online. I like to go to the stores to look at the thing and then go buy it online. (laughs) So I don't have to carry it home. (laughs) Life hack. There you go. That's a great life hack, first and foremost. But, you know, when it comes to to storefronts, you want to make sure that when somebody enters your store, they know what you sell, where those items are. If you've ever been into a store where everything is just a mess, and the shelves are all over the place. And not to knock them, but and I don't know how many people know what Tuesday morning is, but it's like this discount shop where you can get name brand items for less. But for most of them, like when you walk through the front door, everything is just everywhere. And you're kind of digging through bins and things like that and trying to figure out- That place is a shit show. <laughs> like yeah. trying to figure out where the bargains <laughs> are, right? 
And like some people have the stomach for that. I don't. I like things organized, neat and tidy. If I want to get buy something, I want to go straight to it. Well, the same is kind of true when it comes to your website. There are a few core things that you can do to make sure that when people land on your website, or on a page on your website, that it lets people know, here's who I am. Here's what we do. Here's what we sell. Here's how to buy the thing. Here's how to exit the website. And if you're doing those things well, then Google One wants to index your content. But then there's, you're competing against other people who may sell the same thing. And then you're trying to rank higher than them. So it kind of becomes this push and pull of which storefront in this example gets the most traffic. And depending upon how well you do those things, you may get more traffic than your competitor. But there's a lot of different search terms that you could come up for, right? So if you sell clothing and maybe there's this, let's go with the Henley since I have one on, (laughs) that you're selling, well, there may be 10 other stores that sell a Henley. So how do you make sure that you show up number one for that? And that's kind of basically what SEO is, is just making sure that when people search for terms or they're looking for products that you show up uh, near the top because nobody searches on page two of Google and people don't do a whole lot of scrolling. They like to see what they're looking for within the first few results. They don't like to go deeper than that. But those are kind of the basics of SEO and it's important to get them right. You don't have to do everything perfectly, but you want to do them as well as you can. Maybe the first page of Google is like, it's the main street. And then every other page is like the weird back alleys that probably no one's going to go down. (laughs) And so you want to make sure you're on the main street if you want that traffic. (laughs) That's a really good analogy. And if you've ever been to Japan, Japan is almost exactly like that. There's all (laughs) kind of hidden alcoves and things like that. And and Japanese people are used to going into back alleys. But if you're a tourist and you've never been there, you probably stick to the the main streets. If your shop is on the main street, then you're going to get more foot traffic. So that's a perfect analogy. Yeah. It's like uh, whenever you're like, you remember malls? Yeah, <laughs> I remember malls. So it's like when you go to the malls and it's like they're, sometimes they have like the main strip, but then like there's those ones that kind of like are little offshoots. That's just like a short little walkway that basically goes to an exit or an entrance. Like nobody ever goes down that way. I'm like, I bet those guys pay way less rent yep. than the, uh, <laughs> the, you know, the gap or whatever that's right in the dead center of this place. But exactly. Yeah. I've always wondered about Google and like, so it's like you do a search and it's like, we found 14 million results and people only give a shit about the first six. So it's like, why even pull up 14 million results? Like, I don't understand who that's for. Just to show off. Yeah, just to show off, I guess. <laughs> there you go. Just to show off like, hey, look at all of our search results. So they can. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like a testament to the fact that there's so much content on the web and Google actually doesn't index at all. I don't know what the actual figure is. I used to back in like 08, 09, and I'm sure it's changed drastically since then. They only index a really small portion of the web, right? And they don't index any of the dark web. Of course, well, one, because they (laughs) can't. Two, you don't want to index the dark web. That would be a big mistake. You don't want that part of your 14 million results. No, no, you don't want that smoke. You really don't. So they only index a small portion of it, and they're trying to serve the most relevant results their algorithm is constantly working in the background to show the the best results and give people answers like within their first click. What does it mean to index? Is that just, what, is, what does that mean exactly? 
So I'm going to try not to nerd out about this, but inevitably I will, right? So you start to get into like how the internet works and the internet works because there are hundreds of thousands, uh, maybe millions at this point of servers around the globe. And in order for your site to actually be online, you have to have server space that's publicly available for a search engine to send out what's called a crawler, a piece of code that searches from server to server and from link to link to find new content. And when it does, and it's never seen that content before, it will index it or make it publicly available on google.com. Um, the same is true of Bing or Yahoo or those other search engines that maybe you've heard of, but never ever use like me. <laughs> but that's essentially, you know, what we're talking about when we're talking about Google search or when something gets indexed, it's found new content and it adds it to its index so that when somebody types in the term or a keyword, then your content might come up for it. I gotcha. So does a creator have to do anything special to get their content indexed? Or in general, does it happen pretty much automatically? It doesn't happen automatically, especially if you're new. Okay. If you don't have a website or if you've never created a website and nobody knows who you are, that's one of the, the toughest things is getting going. So there's a few things that you can do in order to make sure that you get going. One is just making sure that Google actually has permission to crawl your website. A lot of people use WordPress websites and others might use a landing page like ConvertKit's landing page builder. You just want to make sure that the options for indexing aren't turned off so that Google can't crawl. There's this file called a robots text file. And you can actually tell Google, hey, don't crawl and index my website. You talk to the robots. Yeah, right? Domo arigato. But if you have it actually <laughs> checked, then they're not going to crawl your website. They're not going to index it. But if you say, yes, Google, I want you to crawl my website, then you give them permission to essentially index your content. Hmm. That's like step one if you have a brand new website or you have a brand new page that you want to be seen on the web is just making sure Google has permission to crawl it. And then you get into like the basics of what we call on-page SEO, the things that go on your page that make it more likely for you to rank. So that's us kind of basically understanding in a nutshell. I mean, I know you can talk about it forever, but the basics of what SEO is. So what is the next thing? So what is SEO thing two that people should consider? So let's say that, that your website's up and running, it's indexed, you're starting to get some traffic. People always wonder how they can get more traffic. Yes, please. <laughs> and one of the things that they don't consider, right, is that there's some legwork that needs to be done in order for you to start ranking highly. It's a di big difference between ranking and ranking highly. Mm -hmm. When I first started, I think my very first blog post ranked on like page nine or 10. And I'm like, yeah, that's not going to do. So that's kind of how I got into SEO is trying to figure out what I can do to rank higher. And one of those things is by doing research. People don't really think that there are certain terms that people search for and that if you want traffic to your website, you need to make sure that you come up for those terms. I used to work for this really big Fortune 500 company and it was power tools and hand tools. And they wanted to call their new product a power driver. And that doesn't even include the fact that when I think of a power driver, I think of like a pile driver because I used to watch wrestling, <laughs> but nobody was searching for power driver. 
people know power drill, but power driver is weird, right? So if you rank for that term and you rank number one, good for you, buddy. But guess what? Nobody searches for that mm. term. So. so just like the fact that I rank at the number one, if someone searches Charlie Marie, like that's not necessarily a good thing because like they have to already know about me to type that in in the first place. They have to know about you. So it's not new traffic. But if they do know about you and your website still doesn't come up number one, that's the problem too. True. But what we're kind of talking about is more like the difference between a term that includes your brand name and it in terms that don't. <laughs> so you're very well known for web design, right? And if somebody web designing UX and prototyping and all kinds of things, right? So if somebody searched for those terms and they were looking for an expert who knew those things and typed in those related terms, you would want to come up for those because people are searching for that. If they're searching for how to do something and you have a tutorial, you want to come up for that. But you want to make sure that you're using terms that people are actually searching for. When you try to get too obscure, or maybe think like, oh, I'm coming up with a new word. That's usually not a good path to go down because people are probably not searching for that word. So at least to start, start with trying to rank for terms that people use. And then understanding what trends are is really important. One of the best tools for understanding what uh, web trends are is Google Trends. So you can actually go to Google Trends and type in a certain word or key phrase and see the popularity of that term over time. It can help you create new products. It can let you know where if you I create this thing that it may not do well because the interest mm. in that thing is declining over time um, and a lot of different things. But Google Trends helps you to better understand like kind of what's going on in your market helps you better understand your audience, what's popular, and where you might be able to kind of ride the wave up and not ride the wave down. And then your your competition. So, of course, for whatever term that you're trying to rank for, you're going to have competition. Who are your competitors? There's tools that allow you to see who your competitors are, which is great. One of those is called Ahrefs, A-H-R-E-F-S. And you can see who your competitors are, see kind of what they're doing, almost like you have spyglass or a, what is that periscope and like kind of spy on your competitors with binoculars. <laughs> Just use all kinds of things there to describe the one thing that I'm trying to get to, which is you can spy on your competitors, which is kind of cool and see where you may be able to create similar content. Or if you really want to do well, one up your competitors by creating better content. Well, this is something actually I was going to ask you when you had the example before of me ranking for web design, which is like such a popular term and there's like so much competition in that area. So if a creator's in a niche like that, that is actually like kind of wide and like I am a drop in the bucket when it comes to web design in the world. And I think it would be very difficult for me to rank on page one of Google for that term in particular. So what should I as a creator do about that or like another creator in my situation? Yeah, that's a really good question. So there's modifiers. So web design, of course, is like you said, a broad topic, but maybe someone is actually looking for a web designer in the UK. Mm. Bristol is the first city that came to mind. So we're going to roll with Bristol. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so maybe they're looking for a web designer in Bristol, UK. Modifying your term, your core term or your base term web design with Bristol UK 
or location gets more specific. There's probably a lot fewer people who are trying to rank for web designer Bristol UK than somebody who's just trying to rank for the term web design. So there's geographic or location modifiers. There's a quantification modifiers. So maybe you're looking for the five best of something, the five best web designers in the world. Um, maybe you want to rank for that term. It would be a lot easier to rank for five best web designers in the world, or maybe in Bristol, UK, or maybe in the UK, than it would be for you to rank for web design. So there's modifiers that you can add to base terms and get a little bit more specific and increase the likelihood of you ranking for something for terms that are related to what you do. I love that advice because it seems to go in line with what we always advise creators to do, which is to niche down, right? And that if you have a more focused niche, it's easier to communicate your value. And it sounds like it's also easier to rank for search terms if you have something that's a little more specific. Exactly. And I mean, I could go on for days about the nuances of keywords and what to rank for and not to rank for. I could probably teach a three-day class on it, honestly. But those are kind of the basics. You want to go for something that's not too broad, but also not too specific, because the more specific you get, the less people there will be. The less people are searching for it. Exactly. There we go. Oh, man. Trying to marry those two things. It's like, you know, I'm trying to... You want that sweet Goldilocks spot in the middle. <laughs> yeah. It's like a science and an art. It's tough. So it takes some trial and error. All right, man. So, so moving on to the third thing. So we talked about understanding SEO keywords, trends, understanding your competition. What about SEO thing three? So we talked about ranking for things. So I imagine writing compelling titles or subject lines and emails is probably important. It is. And you know, what's crazy to me is that sometimes we get so sucked into SEO and Google and its algorithm that we forget that the people who are actually searching are people. Hmm. And not robots. If you're (laughs) the title of your article if it stinks, then people aren't going to click on your article. If it doesn't actually answer the question or at least address the question that they have in their their mind and the reason or the catalyst for why they started their search to begin with. So wait, 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 wait. I can't just go to Google Trends and just fish out the top three things that everyone's looking at and just smash it into a subject line and expect success? Not if you want to <laughs> rank on the, the first page or near the top of Google, no. But if you would like to, you kind of have to dive into the mind of your prospective visitor. Like, what are they looking for in the piece of content that you're getting ready to create? Does it answer the questions or will it answer the questions? that they may have. And people usually think of like the main question, but there's almost always like a bunch of sub questions that go under it, Hmm. right? So start thinking about the related questions that go along with the main question or problem that the person, the searcher is trying to solve. So as an example, if I'm creating a course or an article on email marketing, what are the questions that go along with you know, email marketing, not just what is email marketing. Of course, somebody who's new may wonder about that, but who are the best email marketing providers? How do you write in uh, your very first email? What are some of the pitfalls, the common pitfalls when you're first getting started with email marketing? There's just, there's a lot of sub questions that people have in their own minds. When you pose one question, 10 others will follow. So try to think 
through that process down to the bottom of all of the sub questions that they might have and answer those within your article. Try to make your title match the content of your subtitles or your subheadings in your articles. Make them always relate back to your main title. The same is true with your subject line. If you're sending an email, some of the same principles go along with it. Don't write a clickbaity subject line and then not actually talk about the thing that you mentioned in your subject line or make it a cheesy hook that then doesn't relate at all to your email. The same goes for your titles um, for your web pages. So <laughs> I could just see Charlie right now. It's like, uh, what's what's a really cheesy one Charlie could go by? Like, stop doing this thing right now or one of those things. Or just yeah. like, you'll never believe what design tactic never works. The seventh one will surprise you. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you do these five things, you'll be rich beyond your... No, no, you won't be rich beyond your wildest thing, your dreams if you do these five things. But try to, to ground your, your titles in reality. Because when you try to go too big, people won't believe you. Mm. But if you go too literal it's not going to hook people. So finding that, again, balance, SEO is all about balance. It's kind of like a give and a take. You want to write titles for your content that are going to attract attention. Numbers attract attention. That's why you see so many articles or even YouTube videos. Like this one right here. Exactly. (laughs) 10 most whatever. They start with numbers because those things hook people. It lets them know that there's going to be a very finite start and end Mm. to that article. Not only that, they're able to easily browse through the list of the 10 things, see what applies to them, what's new, what they hadn't considered before, and then skim your article or skim your content. Curiosity is great when it comes to titles, especially like for email, but also for your, your content. And then questions. Does it work the other way, Colin? Sorry to interrupt you, but I'm curious. Yeah. Is uh, So certain terms rank, like we've been talking about. Does it work the other way? Do certain terms cause you to take a hit? Like, Because I know in email, for example, you can get flagged for spam if you say certain things. Like if you mention a lot of like, if your email has a lot of like dollar figures in it, or you know what I mean? Or say like, make money, get rich. Like these phrases and stuff can cause... Gmail to send you to the spam folder and stuff. So does that work also when it comes to like Google searches? Like if you say certain things, you're hurting yourself or? So spam is a very particular and very involved issue. It doesn't quite work like email spam. Yeah, it's a whole different animal. But what does happen that's similar to email is that people just won't believe you. They won't click. Hmm. So it's important to make sure that people believe you by creating titles that are believable being genuine right when they're sensational like buzzfeed did really like really awfully at this oh yeah because they lured people in but they created this new style of headline creation that people got tired of because it was this sensational thing like oh i stopped doing this and lost 85 pounds and then you get into the article and you're like oh my god this is not at all what i thought it was or you're telling me that i should drink water as a diet like Come on. (laughs) Why didn't I think of that? (laughs) Right? So you just, you want to make sure that people believe you. Spam doesn't happen the same way in Google search that it does with email, but it does happen and you can be penalized for spam, but that's a topic for 
another conversation. So write for the humans, basically, and don't try and trick the robots. <laughs> Please write for humans. And when you write for humans, you're actually writing for the robots. Because if humans love your content, Google will love your content. I love it. All right. So SEO thing number four. So after titles, we're talking about, and we've talked about this on the show once or twice, right, Charlie? Consistency and, you know, mm -hmm. showing up. So keeps coming back to consistency. Yeah. So consistently produce quality content. Can you tell us more about that, Colin, and why it matters? Yeah, because everybody is writing content these days. Everybody's creating content. And if you're not doing that consistently, somebody's going to take your spot. It doesn't matter if it's content creation, if it's sports, if it's business. If you're not there, if you're not showing up, somebody will gladly take your spot. And people often think like, I have to create just this incredible content all the time, every time. And that's not exactly true. Some of the most compelling content is not stuff that you spent all, all month thinking about, you know, as an idea. Sometimes it's just the real stuff, the everyday real things that people go through that ends up doing the best, but they're creating that content regularly. Doesn't matter if it's daily, like a Casey Neistat, or if it's weekly, like a The Future Belongs to Creators, or if it's monthly, like a newsletter, right? But just showing up consistently, setting the expectation for your audience, and then them knowing when you're going to deliver uh, is, is critical. And a lot of people, they will say, well, I don't know what to write. I don't know what to create. I'm, I'm burnt out. There's so many tools that are out there now that can help you with that, with idea generation, with overcoming writer's block or creator's block. There's just, there's so many tools that can help you with being consistent. One of them is called Jarvis AI, and it will, it will actually create content for you or write your article for you. I don't recommend using Jarvis AI for that, but if you're looking for clues as to what people are searching for, what they're interested in, oh. and you're trying to come up with uh, titles. It does a great job by just throwing a few keywords at it. And it kind of returns like with some of the most popular content or, or topics that people are searching for related to this word. Same with also asked. So also asked does a good job of curating what other questions that people ask Google and other search engines once they've typed in a search. You'll see it pop up if you type in a search. There's like this little box that says, here's what others also ask. Mm, nice. That's where the name comes from. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they've taken that name. And instead of having to do a search and then seeing what pops up, it's a tool that lets you take a phrase or a keyword. And then it just populates everything that way. So it's kind of like an aggregated way to see that. And you can come up with all kinds of creative content ideas that help you get unstuck and consistently create or produce content. Can you explain why, because we know and like fully believe why that's important for your audience and for like building an audience, but why does that matter for SEO in particular, being consistent? Yeah. So being consistent means that there is fresh content for Google to be able to rank. So they actually created or, or implemented as part of their algorithm, a freshness factor. So Google actually factors freshness of content into how your site and your content ranks. Okay. Content easily becomes outdated, 
especially if you're including facts, figures, dates, or something that shifts over time, it's important to go back to your content that you've created and update it. So the freshness of content is really important. And when you consistently produce content, it actually gives Google a reason to come back to your website to look for new stuff, which then gets ranked, which then drives traffic to your website. One other interesting tip that I'm starting to use myself with my own creative work is collaborating with other creators. So tools are great, but it means you still have to create the content. When you collaborate with other people, kind of evens the load between two or more people. So you don't have to do as much of the lifting on your own. You're lifting with someone else. You can do podcasts like we're doing now, webinars, conferences, Q&As, AMAs, where you involve other creators, where you can collaborate on content. So if you're having, if you're struggling with how to create fresh content for Google to index, collaboration is a great way to do that. That's awesome. We touched on this a little bit, but uh, the fifth thing, the final thing that we want to talk about is tracking your web analytics. So you talked about Google trends and being able to use Google to see what's going on in the web at large. So this is specific to you, I imagine, but similar in that sense. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so analytics is really important because trends, like you said, will tell you what the larger trends are across the web, but that doesn't tell you what's going on on your specific website. How many people visited your website last month? How many people clicked on that little widget that you added that you hoped would help you with conversion? How many people signed up for your course? How many people paid you last week? Those are analytics that are important to keep track of, especially if you're looking to grow a business or if you're looking to make a full-time income from your creative work. So keeping track of your web analytics is extremely important. Google Analytics is one of the most popular, if not the most popular web analytics tracking tools, but it can get pretty complex pretty fast. (laughs) a lot of tabs and reports and sections and mind-boggling. <laughs> I actually don't use Google Analytics for my own websites. I use uh, Plausible and Fathom. I use Fathom. Yep. See, there we go. So we have people who, who want analytics for their websites, but they don't want that big, clunky, complex interface. And Fathom, Plausible, and a few others are lightweight give you the data that you need so that you know if you want to grow, you need to know where you're starting from. If you want to earn more money, you need to know how much money you're bringing in right now. And a lot of people forget to install web analytics. So that's definitely tip number five to growing your business and making sure you're not stunting your growth. If I can ask one more question, because I know we're getting near the end of the episode, but I'm curious to know, um, I've been thinking about it ever since you said it at the start, Is the best way to find out where you're ranking, literally just to search the term and then find where you are? Is there something else creators should be doing to check how their SEO performance is? Perfectly then. Thank you. Because I forgot to talk about it, which is Google Search Console. Okay. In order to see what terms you rank for in aggregate, going to each term you think you might rank for and seeing where you actually rank is a mess because it would take you forever to get through all of the keywords. It's time consuming. (laughs) Exactly. It would take you forever to get through all the keywords that you rank for. Google Search Console actually aggregates all of that data. So if you have a, a Google account, 
then you can sign up for Google Search Console. Most website builders have a widget, a plugin, or even a feature option for you to turn it on. And you're able to see all of the traffic, not all of the traffic, a lot of the traffic that comes to your website and what keywords that they're using to find you. So that's the best way to keep track of who's searching for you essentially or the number of people searching for you and the terms that they're using to get to your website. So that's the best way. Perfect. I think we've named a lot of tools in this episode that creators can go and look at and hopefully, like a lot of them are free though as well, right? That we've been talking about or they have a free version at least. Every tool that I mentioned has a free version or is low cost. I mentioned also asked SparkToro, I didn't actually mention, but Fathom, Plausible, all of those are low cost. Google Analytics is free. Google Search Console is free. Almost any Google related tool is free. So yep, either free or low cost. There we go. Lots for creators to go try out. Yeah, it's a, I know this is a topic that a lot of people probably tend to maybe put in the back burner because when you're starting up a business or when you're being, when you're a creator, it seems like it's one of those things that kind of goes to the back of your mind because there's so many other things that you have to have your attention to. Yeah. But it's yeah. one of those things that's like probably the most important thing that you don't think is important because you can work your ass off. But if you're like in one of those back alleys and nobody knows that you're there, you could have the coolest freaking store in the world. But if nobody's walking by and nobody knows how to find it, all that hard work is for nothing. So. I hope that this helps people make it a little bit more approachable and understand SEO a little bit better. And thanks for letting us ask you dumb questions, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> no such thing. I appreciate the questions. All right. Well, with that, thanks again, Colin and Charlie. Nice having you back. We will see you guys next time. We really appreciate everybody chiming in. See you later. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.